With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Fev NFL podcast, very special edition. We're live here on YouTube, post-divisional round. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson, right here, baby. Let's do it. No more, not, none of this Monday 7 a.m. stuff. No. It's your Monday show coming at you Sunday night right here on youtube yeah we're just hours early about 10 hours early so we're live going through all of the divisional round of course if you're listening or whatever you'll get the podcast you'll get it earlier than ever uh but we're live here on youtube tell your friends let's get everybody over here as we go through the divisional round which just ended sam so let's uh how'd it go for you not as good as last year's divisional round where every game was incredible last year's divisional round was something pretty impressive this one wasn't as amazing, but there's some good games in there. Somebody's saying your mic's not working in the chat here. I hope that's uh, I hope my that's mic not is true. not working. Yeah, that wouldn't be great. That's what somebody said. Oh no, it's good now. Yeah. We're back now. All right, so Sam, let's get into the games. We're gonna go from most recent and work our way backwards. Okay. The thing that we just saw: the San Francisco 49ers are off to the NFC Championship for the second year in a row, third time in four years, and. It's because they beat the Cowboys 19 to 12. We just saw, I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming out of this game, man. The, uh, the Dak Prescott discussion Ooh. is going to be, you know, pretty intense this offseason. Brock Purdy, the, the winning quarterback, Mr. Irrelevant going to the NFC Championship. A lot of good storylines here, but man, this is a good defensive effort from both teams. Yeah, I mean, certainly like the start of the game was like the best defensive battle I can remember seeing for years. Like... You see a lot of games where is this good defensive football or is this bad offensive execution? Both defenses showed up in the first quarter and absolutely were shutting down, throttling, suffocating the opposing offenses. Um, All of a sudden we were sort of seeing actually this 49ers offense isn't unstoppable. It's not a complete cheat code when a legitimately good defense rolls up like Dallas. They're going to have some problems. And then the 49ers defense was you know, destroying Dallas's offense as well. So for the first quarter or so, like it was just two defenses absolutely destroying the game. And then eventually the offense has got a little bit of a foothold with the obvious difference between the two of them being Dak Prescott like 
seemingly on a mission to prove that actually he could make his interceptions and turnover the plays tally by the end of the year. Oh, man, he is ruining. I mean, he was living up to the narrative that we thought was completely overblown. But in two out of the last three weeks, we've seen just an absolute roller coaster ride from Dak Prescott. Week 18 was a disaster against the Washington Commanders in a game that meant something to the Cowboys. They tried to win. Then the Cowboys look incredible on Monday Night Football during Super Wild Card Weekend, destroy the Tampa Bay Bucks, unstoppable offensively, except on extra points. And then in this game, we see Dak kind of back to what he was in Week 18. We had two early interceptions. Uh, one where Michael Gallup maybe stops on the route a little bit, but it's still still a force into coverage that Dak kind of threw blind. Um, another interception uh, in in uh, 49ers territory later on, just a misread, throwing the ball into double coverage. And then probably the worst one was in the fourth quarter comeback attempt. Uh, the first uh, fourth quarter comeback attempt for Dak Prescott, what should have been a pick six on the very first play of the drive, a little stick route, Dre, uh, Dre Greenlaw drops what should have been a pick six. That really would have fueled the narrative of uh, Dak's interceptions, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, the, uh, Dak Prescott does not play well at all in this game. You credit the Niners' defense, but of course, uh, Dallas always, you know, the big the headline team. This is what uh, this is what all the uh, the talking heads are going to be talking about this week. Dak and uh, Dallas failing again. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a bad performance from Dak Prescott in particular. Um, the offense generally, I don't think, was amazing, but Prescott was the biggest culprit and he's can't be that guy whatever about how good he is and how much he has to sort of lead by example and um, carry the team and you know be the sort of the quarterback that elevates everybody else at the very minimum you can't be the worst player on offense that's not going to fly if you're a quarterback Uh, you also have to wonder how much the game may have been different if Tony Pollard hadn't got his ankle rolled up on it's a couple of key players from the weekend getting pretty much the same injury, getting their ankle sort of bent the wrong way, and, and Pollard was out of the game. Patrick Mahomes uh, obviously came back in. Um, but with Tony Pollard down and all of a sudden you having to rely on Zeke Elliott again as like the full-time 100% running back, you sort of see just how bad that actually is for Dallas. Deke finished up. Uh, Deke. Zeke finishes with 10 carries for 26 yards, yeah, 2.6 yards per attempt, along of five. Um, as I was uh, joking a little bit on Twitter, he's 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 like their short yardage guy. You know, he converts the third and ones, he converts the short stuff. But even when you give it to him on first and ten, it's almost like he's running for for short yardage, right? I mean, we've 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 mentioned for a couple of years now that Tony Pollard's a better, more explosive version. I mean, uh, just better at running back right. than Zeke. But this is like hit hard. I mean, Zeke's jumped right into, I'm a late career, like like a fullback, like a late career fullback who's only picking up one or Looks two like at a time. Arizona Cardinals Emmett Smith. He does. Um, he really does. And it's not like, I mean, you know, Tony Pollard wasn't dominating this game either, but we know that he is an explosive playmaker and, you know, he looked dangerous at least anytime he had the ball. So over the course of the entire game, you at least have some confidence that given enough opportunities, he might have broken one. I mean, that wasn't happening with Zeke, no matter how many uh, opportunities he had. Yeah, I mean, you're going up against a very good run defense in the Niners. That's going to be an awesome matchup next week, Niners and Eagles, as far as the run game goes. But, um, you know, from a Niners perspective, again, you know, Fred Warner flying around, making plays everywhere. It did feel like just everything's difficult for Dallas's offense. And I think you have to credit the Niners in that, you know, from that perspective, you know, one of the... The big play. There was a couple big play opportunities in there. 
for Dak and the Cowboys offense. You've got a, a seam route that just missed to CD Lamb where Fred Warner's running the seam with CD. Um, and then the, man, the, the fourth quarter comeback attempt, though, not to harp on this too much, but with all of the drama, right? We love, we love the drama and the storylines and the narrative and all that stuff. And last year's game ended with Dak Prescott on a QB draw with 16 seconds left or whatever it was, he slides down, and that was the last play of the game, right? Dallas did not get to even throw the ball into the end zone to try to tie it up, I think it was at the time. This year, it's like, all right, you got four minutes left, down seven. Dak, you got another chance here. What's it going to be? And it's first play picks uh, what should have been a pick six to end it gets dropped. Second play was one of the big play opportunities that Dallas had post route that's open, and Dak misses it behind the receiver. And then it's third and 10, and he takes a sack on a play where he just held the ball too long. Dallas has to rush out there, punt it. And uh, by the time they got it back, they pretty much had, they had no timeouts left, and it was nearly impossible to go the full field in 45 seconds or whatever. So um, there was a couple big play opportunities, but for the most part, the Niners' defense, not necessarily because of their pass rush, but their coverage, you know, like back seven just did a really nice job making it, you know, tight window throws, a little bit of disguise, forced those interceptions, and just forced forced everything to be you know a tight window opportunity yeah i thought both defenses played really well i mean yeah. the first quarter they were both incredible they sort of cooled off a little bit as the game went on um but i thought i think one there was sort of a couple of big differences number one was obviously dak prescott seemingly intent on turning the ball over um the other one was the dallas defense couldn't find one of those themselves like you sort of saw what happens if a defense that has built itself this season not entirely, but a lot off an incredible pressure rate and therefore an incredible turnover rate off the back of that. What happens if they can't force a turnover? You know, are they, is that the difference? Do they actually need those turnovers to be as good a defense as they can be? And if they don't get them, are they going to slow you down but not make enough plays, particularly when you're trying to, when your offense is turning the ball over? So I think, sort of unfortunately, they had a shot as well, like Deron Bland at one point early in the game almost took the ball away from Brandon Ayuk on a deep shot that could have been a turnover that that would have um you know helped admittedly a more of a sort of arm punt turnover than uh, a real impact one with favorable field position but for as good as that Dallas defense was it wasn't able to force a turnover which might have been a difference in the game I mean one of the best things that Dallas did was just not give up all the free yards not even free yards I mean just there think about how efficient the Niners offense always seems to look where it's like all right you know five yard run here 10 yard pass there and you know they just they made things a little bit more difficult for the Niners but I think high level though Sam here's the difference in the game for me and um, our friend Greg Rosenthal just um, tweeted it out and I had to respond and say you know say I agree you know the Cowboys were short on weapons Sometimes off-season narratives actually come true. That was Greg's thoughts on that. Um, <clears throat> not to absolve what happened out there, but Dallas's offense, when they get hot, they're, they're really good, right? We've seen them put up a lot of points. But there are games like this where it's like, man, C.D. Lamb had 13 targets out of the 37. He had a third of the targets, over a third. Uh, Dalton Schultz had 10 targets. And then, you know, the last <laughs> on the final drive, he's you know, running out of bounds instead of catching the ball. Not having an Amari Cooper, not having that other weapon. We talked a lot in December about signing OBJ, and you know they traded Amari Cooper for a late round, a, th a day three pick last year, and all that stuff. 
and it, this came back to bite in certain games, and this was obviously one of them, where you C.D. Lamb's awesome, but you can't just rely on him as a playmaker. And then on the other side, when the Niners needed plays, and when they go empty, right? They go empty, and they got Ayuk out there, and Christian McCaffrey, and George Kittle, and Debo Samuel, and whoever else they want to put out there. doesn't matter. But that four, are you kidding me? And Purdy, or Garoppolo, or whoever's back there just says, let me find the matchup. Who's covering Ayuk? Who's covering McCaffrey? Who's covering Kittle? And I'm going to find the guy, and I'm going to get my third and five. I'm going to get my third and seven. To me, that was the difference in the game. Those plays where the Niners have playmakers who are going to get open, and they're going to spread the field and give them opportunities. And the Cowboys, it's like, man, if CD doesn't make a play, what else are we going to do? Yeah, I mean, you can't compare it to the 49ers playmakers because those guys are the best group of playmakers in the entire NFL, top to bottom. You know, the positionless football stuff, the fact that every one of them is a matchup nightmare, um, they're all dominant. I, I feel like Dallas had the weapons, but Dak Prescott just was not seeing the field. Like, you know, Michael Gallup, I don't know what happened with that first interception. It was a bad throw by Dak, but I also don't know why Gallup just kind of stopped playing and let the corner go get it. Um, but the deep shot later on, Gallup had space. He had position. Dak missed him, essentially. Um, T.Y. Hilton has shown the last few weeks he's capable of making some plays. Like, he's still capable of getting in the right spot at the right time and making a difference for this offense. But, like, you're watching the sort of last five minutes of this game, and you're like, what is Dak even seeing? I mean, yeah. he's... He almost, got, he almost took a safety. Right. He just, and for no reason. He right. just sort of started running around in the end zone, ran his way straight into, was it Eric Armstead? Yes. In the end zone. We, and somehow, like, bounced off him and then fired the ball which I think then got deflected. Like, the ball didn't even make it to the guy on the sideline. We, we didn't even get into the Brett Maher stuff and the fact that he missed the first extra point and got blocked <laughs> and all that stuff, and it probably would have been shanked. But there's... Dak was almost... Like, he does hit these lulls where he's not seeing the field. It's not the yips, so to speak, right? But it's like a slump seeing the field. I remember talking about this on the podcast last year, right? He hit this lull in the middle of the year where he'd have two or three turnover-worthy plays per game in a year where he was still good last year, um, a lot like Josh Allen this year, it's like, hey, there's a lot of turnover-worthy plays, but he's going to offset it with far more good than bad. Like, this doesn't mean he's terrible. But there's this lull where he's not seeing the fields. Dak definitely hits that tonight. And um, two out of the last three weeks, to be honest, where they were just so inept against Washington a couple weeks ago. And I don't even know if that was great Washington defense. They played tough. This was a combination of great San Francisco defense, you know, you've got a small margin for error and, and Dak not seeing the field. That Eric Armstead play was in that fi the very final comeback attempt. Dak rolls to the right and Armstead, who's almost my size, he's 6'7", 290. Mm. It's like the closest body type I have in the NFL is like running at him like this. And he's just like, huh, I bounced off of a 6'7", 290 guy. Yeah. That would have ended the game with a safety. So um, I don't know what's happening with, uh, with Dak Prescott there. No, but I think that was a bigger problem than the lack of weapons, which admittedly, you know, wasn't a great situation for Dallas. But I think with the return of Michael Gallup as the year wore on, with T.Y. Hilton coming into the fray, like, I think they had enough. And then Dak just didn't take advantage of those guys. Um, Brock Purdy played a good, solid game again. You know, he doesn't. he's not going to have the same uh, gaudy statistics. But again, I think it was what what needed to be done right whether it's it's george kittle it's debo samuel it's brandon brandon Ayuk only had two catches for 26 but it's like again which guy is open when you need them and the niners doing just enough 
uh, mixing and matching uh, formationally. Um, Elijah Mitchell had a great game running the ball. Now he almost, and he almost made it, I mean, he did make a big error, a big mistake. He has a 13-yard run late in the game that would have sealed the deal. All he needed to do was just go down in bounds. He runs out of bounds. He's excited. And uh, that was the reason why Dallas had one last chance, uh, which didn't matter in the end. But you just see all the different options that the Niners have. And, And look, they scored 19 points. It's not like this was another dominant offensive performance. But you just had to be better than Dallas. And it was a good... You, you mentioned it was a really good defensive game. I think the people who were upset that it was 9-9 to nine at the half and, you know, not scoring enough points, this wasn't – I don't think this was a bad well, offensive game. people whinge game. about that all the time. Any low-scoring game, people complain about it. It's just a bad game. But there are, there are low-scoring games because offenses are not playing well, and there are low-scoring games because defenses are playing extremely well. This felt like by far the best, like, defensive game that you're going to see for a long time. Like, you've got to go back – quite a number of years to sort of you know Steelers Ravens have had a couple of these over the years where it was like both defenses playing out of their minds and so the offenses weren't able to look good like that's what this was with the addition of Dak Prescott helping them out and you know firing the ball to DBs hard hitting and just I agree with you man it was it was far better defense than it was bad offense uh, Fred Warner for the for the Niners once again just makes it he just is all over the field man um, his ability to run the seam give them flexibility in the middle of the field he was doing a lot of bracketing of CD lamb coming out of the slot um, and that's the thing right when I'm not saying Amari Cooper being on the field completely changes this game for the Cowboys but when that was what the that was the advantage that that offense had right you you'd have Cooper and you'd have CD lamb and you'd have Michael Gallup um, and then Schultz is an afterthought, right? Like Schultz is the checkdown guy. He's not a dynamic tight end option. He's the guy, like they, he scored the touchdown on a schemed up play, right? Dak rolls out, he leaks out, it's a touchdown. That's Dalton Schultz, right? He runs the seam every now and again. You don't want Dalton Schultz as your two, you want him as your three or four. And look, I, I think at the, end, at the end of the day, those offseason moves by the Cowboys kind of caught up a little bit. And I'm, I know you said, hey, don't compare them directly to the Niners. But I, I'm just saying in this game, you see that advantage, right? You see Dallas, who has a very good defense. You can't match up with all those guys. You can't match up with Kittle and Ayuk and all those dudes. So um, I think that ended up being part, one of the big stories here coming out of it. Yeah, I also think D'Amico Ryan's called a really good game defensively. Um, Again. 49ers defense <laughs> yeah. coordinator. Like, remember, he was... He was supposed to have like five interviews or something crazy during the week. And we were saying, how can that not affect pregame prep? I think apparently he canceled two of them, bailed on, not well, bailed on, like did not complete two of the interviews because of presumably it going to interfere with game prep. But they, he had a bunch of calls in this game where I think he messed with tendencies. You know, and Dallas was expecting one thing, particularly on third downs, and he dialed up something else. Like the play where uh, Fred Warner is running down the seam with CeeDee Lamb, he started off like mugging in the A-gap. Yeah. Like that's not supposed to happen. I mean, right. even, even if it is supposed to happen, the guy can't make it happen. Like most linebackers can't even think about that. So Dak's sort of thinking, have I got CeeDee Lamb on a hot route down the seam? But, oh, no, hang on, there's a linebacker running with him. And he kind of puts it where I guess more or less it needed to go. But Warner's actually able to make that play. You know, early in the game, they ran some more of that Tampa 2 stuff that they, they don't do too much of before. Like, I think he specifically in high leverage situations was really good in this game at dialing up unusual play calls that, that 
Dallas did not seem to be expecting. And that's, you know, Fred Warner is going to come out of this with a pretty good grade, I assume. And um, are those the types of things that you're able to do with, with a guy like Fred Warner in the middle of the field, right? You don't want most linebackers running with C.D. Lamb up the scene. But when there's some level of deception and then you have a linebacker capable of, capable of doing it, um, where you're just essentially saying, eh, if you make this, the throw's got to be perfect, right? The throw would have had to be perfect on that C.D. play, and it, and it wasn't. So, um, yeah, D'Amico Ryans deserves a ton of credit for everything he's done with the Niners. I think offensively, when they need to make plays, they do it. Um, and they threw the ball a couple times late. They were aggressive. I know um, the analytics folks didn't love a lot of the field goal calls by Kyle Shanahan, right? He's got a history of fourth and twos and you know fourth and shorts taking field goal opportunities rather than going for it when um the math would suggest maybe maybe going for it didn't come back to bite in this one that'll be interesting going forward when you have a team like philly i mean that that matchup next week is going to be fantastic i think both sides of the ball too the niners defense against the eagles offense you know two of the best in the league but then even just the other side the eagles defense was much improved and you know what what can they do to slow down Shanahan in this offense. It's going to be great. We'll talk about that again, of course, on Thursday. But always curious to see Kyle Shanahan in the playoffs with a history of, you know, being a little conservative in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes, being uh, a little too aggressive maybe in the 28-3 to comeback when he was offensive coordinator for the Falcons. So it's kind of like aggressiveness, you know, passing when maybe you should be running and maybe kicking when you should be going for it. We'll see if that ends up coming back to bite at all. Yes. What else you got? I got nothing. I thought game. you were rapping. I thought you were done. Rapping is in What time finishing. did we start? I need to know. Uh, <laughs> I, we're used to, wasn't we're, that what we said? We're used to giving. It's uh, half an hour. It's right on target. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I think I said 942 when we started this thing. Are we going to talk Dak uh, legacy and future? Is this, is this enough for the, Everybody's going to be all over him. And, and he was bad. I mean, it's, he was bad in this game. Yeah. Dak Prescott was really bad. In a playoff game. He hasn't, I mean, he has not been good this season. The, the, it was true for a while that he was uh, better than his interception total. Um, but then almost since that was being pointed out, he seems to have been on a one-man mission to redress that and has been trying to throw interceptions since that point. He's not had a good year at all. And this tallies exactly with his entire career, which is when he's in a perfect situation, he's a very good quarterback. And as soon as you screw with that in any way, shape, or form, whether it's receivers, whether it's offensive line, anything, you get a much worse version of Dak Prescott, which is good. It's certainly not great. And, you know, given the money that they're paying him, this is not the guy you want. Like, you need the higher end of that, that range that you're capable of seeing. Yeah, his, uh, his PFF grade and overall production, however else you want to quantify it, has absolutely coincided with the better group of playmakers, which most quarterbacks do, but his is you know, pretty linear, it seems like, throughout his career. So we'll have more on that. We'll also let the talking heads do all the crazy overreaction. Uh, Sean Payton getting a call after this? Any Cowboys loss? I just assume yeah. that's the default position. Didn't matter how it happened. You could score 50 points. Doesn't matter. we got to fix the offense. We just lost in the mm -hmm. playoffs. All right. That was it.
San Francisco is off to the NFC Championship. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, well, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, earlier today, Cincinnati Bengals. 27 buffalo bills 10 bengals off to the afc championship here i think this was the most surprising game of the weekend the way it played out this had to be the most surprising game how dominant the bengals were from start to finish not that the bengals won not even that they won by three scores but the fact that they dominated the game got up 14 to nothing and really had the game in control there was never even really a scare from Buffalo, it got to 17 to 10, and then Cincinnati just drove right down the field and scored a touchdown. Never really a scare from the Buffalo Bills against the Bengals here today. Yeah, that's the part that I'm surprised by. Like, not that Cincinnati looked good and that they were rolling. I mean, if you look at their, like, since they started this run, this has been who they've been largely. You know, okay, they got a little bit lucky last week needing that fumble return thing to, to kind of uh, basically a 14 point swing. And come out of that game with a win but this is generally who they've been and remember the last time they were playing buffalo when the demar hamlin situation happened and and that game was abandoned they looked really good at the start of that game and if you combine the start of that game with the start of this game burrow was like 15 for 15 for 150 yards and three touchdowns like he hadn't missed literally complete for three scores three drives um so the fact that cincinnati looked good wasn't shocking what was shocking to me is that buffalo basically didn't fire a shot all day and you're thinking i mean you even tweeted this right you're like we've seen nothing from the bills but this game is only two josh allen throws away from being flipped on its head yeah. and they just never came they they never happened and allen has has been carrying this team for you know a long time he's felt like he's had to do it all by himself a lot of occasions he was like the all-time NFL playoff leader in terms of average yards per playoff game for anyone that's played more than five games like 350 yards or something crazy and he just didn't just didn't have it today and we said I think I said it in this podcast I made it the point a few times during the week that we were all talking about Cincinnati's offensive line down three starters in three weeks whether or not the Bills had the kind of pass rush to cause that problems nobody was talking about the other side which is Buffalo's offensive line is not good, and they have to go up against Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader, and the Bengals' defense is playing really well. That turned out to be a far bigger mismatch than Cincinnati's backups against Buffalo's defense in front. It did. So you know, we got the snow game, right, after I was uh, complaining, right? We got the snow. We got it the winter snow one. here if they'd had it as well. I know. It was, uh, I, did, I had no idea we were going to get this much snow this morning. It was coming down hard yeah. early earlier today, and then I guess it ended up in Buffalo as well. Um, so we got the fun snow game, and at one point the Bengals were up fourteen to nothing, and the Bills had run three plays, and and it felt like the Bills the Bills pass rush was non-existent. So it felt like this easy narrative that's like, well, the snow is affecting the pass rush. You don't have footing, you don't have that get off. It's actually an advantage for the offense, the offensive line, right? And um, I'm thinking this in my head. Well, maybe that's what's slowing down the Bills, and that ends up becoming a blessing in disguise for the Bengals' offensive line. 
And then on the very next drive, three-man rush, and Trey Hendrickson absolutely whoops Deion Dawkins for a sack Yeah, to end that drive. against. It might not have been a sack. I think Allen may have thrown it away. I can't remember. Um, but either way, incredible pass rush by Trey Hendrickson. It was just one-sided. Right? The Bills did not get any pressure on Joe Burrow, especially early on. And the Bengals did get pressure, and they did a great job. I mean, I just think schematically the Bengals offensively and defensively were fantastic. It does feel like they hit a groove. Lou Anaruma with his his um, there's points where he hits a groove as a defensive play caller, where it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna rush three, and we're still gonna cause havoc. Then I'm gonna blitz Mike Hilton off the slot, and we faked it front side and we got it backside, and Josh Allen's getting popped. Right, he hits this groove where every call is is there, um, and then offensively, I thought they did an awesome job scheming it up, running from the gun. Joe Mixon had a ton of room to run, and then he ran hard. And Burrow had time, and they were getting their mismatches, and they were moving Jamar Chase around. Jamar Chase has become more than just this outside vertical threat, right? He's a guy they're going to line up inside, and he's going to work the middle of the field and work the short stuff. The Bengals, they in, in one of their touchdowns was like, hey, a tendency um, buster. It's third and long. We run, the, we run the screen to Chase a lot. They fake it. They get the wide-open touchdown. I just thought the Bengals called a great game on both sides. I think they deserve a ton of credit there. Joe Burrow starts nine for nine as yeah. well. And I think there was something to him coming out in the snow, not missing a throw, and the whole team being like, hey, Joe Burrow, he's doing it again, right? And they follow that, and then they just, they just never look back. Yeah, and the thing is, right at the start, so the Bengals had these two flawless drives to start the game, nine for nine, 105 yards, two touchdowns, 154 passer rating, and on both the drives where the Bills are going to try and answer, they they found a play on third down, the Bengals' defense, to stop it. So the first one, third and four, Allen's under pressure, just overthrows Stephon Diggs. Like, yes. that's the kind of play right. that's been there this season. Like, that. remember, Miami tried to do that to them last week, right? They blitzed him. He said, they blitzed the house. He got it away. He hit Stephon Diggs over Xavier Howard, and it's a touchdown, right? Like, these are the tiny margins that, that are the difference in these games instead of it being a touchdown and, oh, now we're cooking, we've got a shootout on our hands. It was, Bill's got a punt, and now Cincinnati drives again, and now you're 14 down. Then the next drive, that was your Trey Hendrickson right around uh, Deion Dawkins' play on third and five. Now they got to punt it again. Now they're in a real hole. Um, th- I mean, thankfully, from their point of view, they managed to hold a little bit better in the next one. They don't go down 21 nothing, um, or that would have been you know, game over pretty much. But it's sort of, it's a couple of high leverage plays in key situations on those first drives. But then Buffalo just never found anything. And what was amazing is the Bengals almost went through this like evolution arc on offense where they start off, they're cooking through the air. And then once they get up, once this becomes clear that they're sort of winning this game and they're they're controlling the trenches, they almost pivot to this like run heavy attack and they just start dominating physically. And like Jackson Carmen had a great game at left tackle. We were like terrified at how much of a downgrade Jackson Carmen is going to be, even from the badly performing Jonah Williams this season. But he was good. I mean, he didn't allow almost anything in, in uh, pass protection, was a, a dominant force as a run blocker. And they just started grinding Buffalo's defense down. And, you know, eventually the Bills didn't have any answer at all. That feels a lot like the thing that we would have missed on the Bengals earlier in the year 
was when you looked at last year how volatile they were and the efficiency metrics weren't great and this and that and it was just oh yeah they just you know sleepwalk through a game and then jamar chase catches three touchdowns and they create a 60 yarder and an 84 yarder and all that stuff with jamar chase they found other ways to win this year and they found other answers right there's been games where t higgins especially when jamar chase got hurt where t higgins looks like a true number one um hayden hurst and, and uh, even mitchell wilcox as tight ends just kind of having other options right um throwing to the running backs out of the backfield and then today yeah mixing as a runner and even little things like I, I keep harping on like the third and one package and the fourth and one package and just winning in short yardage, having answers, right? They're, they're lining up for a potential QB sneak, Burrow audibles out of the play. They have a check at the line. It's like, hey, we got, we got three dudes in the A gap, whatever. I'm, I'm throwing the toss sweep to mix in and we got space. We, got, we have guys out in front. Um, the Bengals just had a ton of answers. I don't know if it was, it's as clean as what um, Tony Romo was saying, where he's coming to the line and it's like Peyton Manning and he's got an answer for everything. I don't know if it's that clean necessarily, but it certainly feels like that, doesn't it? Where the Bengals never, they, they were just in control offensively. It didn't mean they, I mean, they got stopped a couple times and everything, but they were in control and had answers to what Buffalo was throwing at them. Yeah, it did definitely feel like they had the answers to this Buffalo defense, which has generally been one that has caused opposing quarterbacks problems. Like they, they're able to sort of take away a lot of things that offenses want to do and generally frustrate passing attacks. It was like the Bengals knew what the solutions to that were going to be, and they were able to do whatever they needed to do. There was like there was a sort of brief period in this game in like the second quarter going to halftime where things broke Buffalo's way a little bit. Like they had those couple of plays where they got their touchdown and got it to 14-7 where – they were somewhere near the goal line. They executed like a proper rugby rolling mall. You know, Josh Allen hit a brick wall, and then his offensive lineman plowed in behind him. Yeah. Got like another five yards. And then the next play, I think, right, they got him. They just drove him in from the goal line. Um, and all of a sudden, you're 14-7. Allen's drawing with Jesse Bates after he scores. It did get intense. Like now it's getting a little bit fiery. It's, it felt like we had a game. Um, you know, then Burrow hits uh, Jamar Chase in the end zone. Well, like two minutes before the half, third and goal, Matt Milano kind of pulls the ball out. That was a throw the of the game, man. That was beautiful. Perfect. But that's a four-point play. Like yeah. That ends up being a field goal. So that's a couple of plays now that are broken Buffalo's favor. And you're thinking, well, we might be able to get something going here. And then the Bengals just came out and went, no, not going to happen. There, there's something to the Bengals mentality that I've, I've tried to describe on the podcast, but I think it just keeps showing up, right? I tried to describe on the podcast over the last couple of years where the Bengals had these letdown games. They've had rough games over the last couple of years. And you, in, you want to believe, oh, same old Bengals, right? They lost to the Jets. They got, like, the worst game they played this year was against the Browns on Monday Night Football where they couldn't do anything. This Bengals team that's one game away from the Super Bowl couldn't do anything against a bad Browns defense on Monday night football. But then that you forget about it a week later because they bounce back. It's like it never happened. And in this game, every time the Bills had the, they just, you, you said they didn't really throw a punch. They jabbed a little bit, right? Yeah. But every time there was a jab, the, the, the Bengals, they punched back, right? And they, they kept coming back. And I think from a coaching staff standpoint, I think part of that's Burrow. You know, he's, he's always in control, you know, and I just think the Bengals just, they do a great job from a, a mental standpoint handling the onslaught they handle the snow they handle adversity 
and they have made a lot of actual schematic adjustments and things like that throughout the season. So I think Zach Taylor and the whole crew deserves a ton of credit for what they've done. And that's a far cry from where they were, you know, three years ago where, you know, people are like, how good is Zach Taylor? Is he, is he just going to be a product of Joe Burrow? And I, I really think they're kind of hand in hand right now. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, Burrow, we know that the elite quarterback is still the driver of all the things, but I think Zach Taylor and the whole staff have done a great job. Absolutely. I mean, this Cincinnati team, I've been saying it for a while, they're a better team than they were a year ago when they made the Super Bowl. And it's unfortunate that we never got to see the conclusion of that first time they played Buffalo with, with DeMar Hamlin um, having his uh, heart attack, that we never got to see what that would result in. Because if that went the same way this one did, and all of a sudden Cincinnati's knocked out Buffalo twice in this run, along with Baltimore uh, twice, along with New England on the road, Tampa Bay on the road, Cleveland at home, Kansas City at home, Tennessee, Pittsburgh on the road. Like, this is an insane run that they've been on. And now, I mean, it's, it's pretty titanic anyway that they're going to be going to Kansas City and, you know, the AFC championship game between what I think is now looking like clearly the two best teams in the AFC. But it, it feels like it would be something even more um, impressive if we had an extra one of those wins in there for Cincinnati but this resume is crazy that they've been able to put together down the second half of the season and it, to me it's really like a two-year resume for Cincinnati too right they did go into Kansas City last year in the AFC championship they um, they handled Baltimore in their division last year and everything I mean it's it's really impressive I mean, how he, they've turned like things around three and oh against Kansas City they're three and oh against Kansas City over the last two years and you know you know how hard it is to beat a team four times well, certainly three in a row. Yeah. I mean, you can't do that. Can't beat a team three times. Imagine four in two years. But also imagine not just it's hard enough to beat any team. Like the, the narrative is hard to beat any team in your division three times straight. Like imagine they've beaten Kansas City three times straight. The team that's now yeah. in the AFC title game for five straight years. They, I'm just saying they've been impressive in big games. And as you mentioned, we don't know what would have happened on the Mon Monday night game, but they looked ready for that game as well. They yeah. looked ready and prepared for the moment in prime time with their first game against Buffalo. I, I remember they started the year 0-2. They did. And it's like, oh, there's the next team that's not making it back to anywhere, you know, the playoffs after yeah. their Super Bowl run. That's what I'm saying about giving them like adversity, right? They're 0-2. They lose a midseason game against the Browns. They always seem to, to come out of it, right? And then they look better than ever here down the stretch. Even last, year's, last week's Ravens game, right? We came out of that game saying, oh, it wasn't as impressive as it should have been, but it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter going forward. We'll see what happens next week, but... Um, I want to talk about Buffalo from their perspective as well. But first, I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up the playoff football season. It's underdog fantasy and their pick'em game. You just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats. You pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game. And you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. You pick between two and five players for your pick'em entry, get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Sign up with promo code PFF, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. All right, my, it feels like every year the team that loses in the playoffs, you're just like, well, there's the problem we talked about all season, right? And now it's the season's over because the problem came back to bite here in playoff time. So is the Buffalo problem partially that it, it is too much on Josh Allen's shoulders? It's too much him. Because I don't think he played horribly, right? Maybe his best pass of the game, Gabriel Davis, on a deep ball, hits his hands, 
gets deflected away. He's kind of dropped, and then it gets deflected away later. The playmakers didn't maybe make the plays for him. I think it seemed like Stephon Diggs was a little upset that he wasn't getting targeted a few times. But you had no semblance of a running game, right? Not that you need to run it, but Josh Allen led the team in carries again. Eight carries for 26, had the touchdown. Everything's on his shoulders in these big games. And it often works out, but not necessarily today. I mean, I think the balance in this offense lost its way a little bit. I mean, we talked about it coming out of last week. Like, what were they doing with a 17-yard average at the target? That's just crazy. Okay, it resulted in a lot of yards and a lot of big plays, but, like, surely you could dial it back just a little bit, you know? Like, and, and I think we brought up as well, Benjamin Solak had this article or was talking about it as well. Like, Josh Allen just needs to chill just a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like, we understand you're capable of doing this, and that's great when you're in a hole and you need something special, but, like, it shouldn't be plan A. Plan A should be a little bit more measured and in control, um, and it, it just sort of wasn't. Late in the season in particular, like, this offense just seemed to lose – lose contain of like where it was supposed to be it lost the middle ground and it sort of veered into this hyper aggressive like imbalanced uh way of of playing on on that side of the ball and i think it probably can be reset and sort of find its center again but the other thing that i think just came back and and bit them is like this has not been a healthy team generally speaking you know, the teams that make the playoffs and go deep are, are pretty healthy units and they, they haven't had a lot of injuries and the ones that have been really banged up end up getting weeded out largely because of that. Um, now, Cincinnati obviously is bucking that trend with three offensive linemen going down in three weeks. But the Bills, like, started the season with a banged-up secondary. It never really got any healthier. They just kept changing which players were banged up. At one point in this game, you know, they didn't have a safety at all. Um, their corners have been banged up all season long. Obviously, the DeMar Hamlin thing, like it's its not right to throw him in with just like injuries, but he's a player they don't have anymore. Well, Dean Barlow got hurt in this game. I mean, they were they were getting very hurt yeah, in so the this, secondary. Yeah, so it's been Tredavious a banged White. up unit in the secondary, and I think the, the pass rush maybe might have patched over that earlier in the season when they had Von Miller and everybody was cooking. And then when Von Miller goes down, nobody stepped up to take that place. The, the sort of seasons that, that some of the young guys have been having, you know, remember they've invested a ton in that position in recent years. Gregory Rousseau, A.J. Epinesa, um, Boogie Basham, like these guys had been playing great earlier in the year. And then without Von Miller there, they were really good complementary pieces. It felt like after week one, I mean, this is when you get deceived a little bit. In week one, it felt like, well, the Ram the Bills are eight deep on the defensive line, and they just wrecked the Rams. Now, yeah. little did we know that everyone would. Right. But it felt like, hey, they're eight deep. This investment's working, especially with your alpha in Von Miller. That's going to bring Rousseau to your two and all that stuff. And, yeah, the trickle-down certainly hasn't been great down the stretch. So they just weren't able to get the pressure. And if you're not able to get the pressure, all yeah. of a sudden your secondary is getting exposed. Remember, And they lost guys during the game. Like, remember... Tredavious White and was Jordan Poyer took each other out on a yeah. deep shot. Like, all of a sudden, that's your two best players essentially gone from the secondary. Even a play like that, there was a pass interference just, you know, right. on, on third down, right? So the um, when, you get, when it comes down to it, there's a third down like that where the Bengals go deep on third down and the Bills interfere, putting the Bengals, like, right at the five-yard line or whatever it was. The one we were talking about that I was mentioning with uh, Gabriel Davis – that was Bills are down two scores, 
and it's third and two. And if you do rewatch the play, I think Allen, I think it's Dawson Knox is, you know, he's got a step over the middle for the first down. And uh, Allen comes off that first read and he's going for the he's going for the kill shot. That's what he does. And it gets to Gabriel Davis's hands, but even when that happens, it's still a lower percentage play. It would have put them right at the Bengals 35 or 40 yard line. That one completely changes the game. But it did feel like every high volatile type of play that the Bills may have attempted just didn't work that way, you know? Um, and the one weakness that you and I harped on since the middle of the year, really, that didn't show up was the turnovers, right? Allen wasn't putting the ball in harm's way. This wasn't one of those games where he was chucking it to the defense and that's why they lost. Mm. He didn't have a turnover till late when it didn't matter, down three scores at the end for the interception. So that one didn't come back to bite necessarily, but it did just feel like this, this team that felt like a juggernaut, not because they were elite across the board, but because they were at least good across the board. Depth just got chipped away at, chipped away at, and then it became the Josh Allen show in so many games. And if he's, you know, he can't do it all. Thought yeah. he was all right. I mean, I think, one. but I think one of the sort of, one of the main points is that when we started the season, you know, Buffalo was the favorite for the Super Bowl in part because when you looked at their roster, it looked like they had the best roster in the NFL top to bottom. Yeah. And I think if everybody was healthy, they probably would. But everybody wasn't healthy basically for the entirety of the season. Right. And the deeper we got, the the more thin that that roster began to be. And at some point, it's just not the group that you started off talking about, you know, and things change. And like the, the more the year went on, the more Buffalo simply was not the side that people were talking them up to be. And sure, as long as you've got Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and they've got some very good players, you can overcome a lot of that. But they ran into a team in Cincinnati playing as well as they are right now, and they just didn't have the people that they just didn't have the players to answer so Bengals 27 to 10 man I'm, I'm calling it the most surprising outcome and, it, and again it's it's not even an, it's not a knock on the Bengals I just thought of all the games this weekend I thought this one I thought two, the both games today would be close right I don't know I don't remember I, th- I think I put the Bengals to cover um, but I thought we were going to see one score games at least um, both games today um, but Cincinnati was just too good, man. They were too good top to bottom. I love what that defense does. And I love their ability to mix it up. And, you know, they they don't have the best names across the board in Cincinnati. And they get the most out of them. It's kind of like what Buffalo had been for a few years, right? The early Sean McDermott years were a whole lot of, yeah, you have Tredavious White. He's kind of a star. But, you know, Matt Milano's emerging as a good, solid linebacker. But where are their stars? They never really had stars in Buffalo, and they always had this good defense. I think the Bengals are getting there. You have a Jesse Bates. You have Trey Hendrickson. Their linebackers are good and solid. DJ Reader's a star if you're into nose tackles. But, like, <laughs> the Bengals just get the job done. And guys like Cam Taylor Britt stepping up with a drop-slash-pass breakup on Gabe Davis and recovering on that, like, all that stuff adds up, and Cincinnati is just a good all-around team. It's a bounce-back week for me in the picks this week. Three and one. And the, Where did the I one, finish? You two and two. Oh, playoff the one stadium. was that Jags screwing us at the end, which I said was, was happening. Jags was really happening. screwed us. Back to our cover with the late field goal there. It's Chris's fault. It's Chris's fault. It's always Chris's fault, right? Well, Chris, certainly if you look at Twitter during a Chris game, it's Chris's fault. Chris is on Sunday Night Football every week. He's like, hey, it's a 10-point game. I would kick the field goal first. You notice Al never said that? Al never suggested kick the field goal first and then do the onside kick get the touchdown second because al knew well al had the line right that's yeah. why I mean. al knew right he's got the Don't favorite do he doesn't want the 10 point lead no. down to seven no 
Chris is just like, oh, I kicked the field goal here. Screwing everybody over. Yeah. yeah. And everybody. people started listening. They're like, hey, I heard Chris on Sunday Night Football. Maybe we should kick the field goal with 40 seconds left. Then we get the onside kick. And, you know, it doesn't work and you lose anyway. Mm-hmm. And it screws everybody yeah. that picked the favorite. It's Chris's fault. Okay. Chris is, is he Chris listening? We getting fired on this yet? Chris, you're not watching live, right? No, no we're early, so he's not. But he he's might in get bed. In, might get sure. in the car on the way in, you know, to the office. When Maybe. He's back. Yeah. We'll find yeah. out tomorrow. Right. For we'll be delayed fired. Blaming Chris for the for the backdoor cover. Were you uh, were you in on the Warren Sharp conspiracy theory that the the uh, the ref to this game was it, I forget who the guy was. The ref was assigned specifically to engineer a Buffalo win so that they could play this game in Atlanta and make all the money. Yeah. Because the guy, the ref, damn it, what is his name? The Sheffers. Yes, Carl Sheffers. The Bills were like eight and one or something when Carl Sheffers refereed a game. Yeah. Therefore, the, he was he was in on it. They've assigned him specifically so that the Bills could win, and then the whole game would be played in Atlanta. Everybody makes money. I don't want to. We I get to go wanna, home. I don't want to. I don't want to do it. No. Look, we, we, we I'm going to run into Warren, whatever his real name is. We're going to run Tell into. Tell him his real name's not Sharp. His no. That's not his real name. What's his name? Nobody knows. <laughs> it's a made-up name. Nobody knows his name. With a made-up career record. It's like with PFT. Did you? I read the uh, the little like uh, biography thing that you know the 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 piece that they wrote about him. Uh huh. You know, and if you do some quick math, he's making like sixteen million a year, hitting sixty-two percent of his picks. Yeah. So uh, yeah. But I'm gonna run into him someplace. Now, here's a nice guy. I've never met him in person, but we're gonna run into each other. Yeah. And. Um, there was two things he did this weekend that are just obnoxious. That's one of them. <laughs> what was the other right? one? Oh, the other the one was thing. suggesting yeah, yeah. that the Mahomes injury was intentional. Right. And I don't want to give Warren Sharp, I don't want to give him, you know, you know, save your likes, as uh, Renner and Austin would say. Save your interaction. It's just made up nonsense. He puts these videos out there that make no sense from a football standpoint whatsoever, (laughs) and they get the engagement and all that stuff, and we don't need to acknowledge it. We don't need to acknowledge the conspiracy theory nonsense that he pulled out today. We don't need to acknowledge the fact that he thought that somebody intentionally rolled on Mahomes' ankle with the slow-motion video that proves nothing. We don't need to acknowledge it. No, we don't, but I knew that doing so would annoy you. Oh, I took the bait. You did. Hook, line, rod, sinker, and copy of Angling Times. So I'm going to run into Warren at some pl- at some point on the beat here. So I hashtag on the beat. Yeah. Right? And when I'm, I'll say it to his face. He'll be at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'll see him at the Super Bowl. And we'll have him on the show. Oh, by the way. People- I'll have him on the show. I'm going to say, Warren, stop putting out st- run pass <laughs> tendencies and 10 personnel in the snow. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. He knows that, though. Yeah. Like, he knows. He's, he does it for the interaction. He does it for this. <laughs> well, I'm not giving them clicks. And you don't get paid by clicks or anything. But, you know, PBs, I don't know. We, by the he way. He puts the book out with a whole bunch of whatever. We're going to be in Phoenix, right? For the. We're going to be there at the, the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. But what we need to do is we need to find a bar or something that's showing the Six Nations rugby on Saturday because we're going to be there. The Saturday before the Super Bowl? Yes. How about a coffee shop? A good coffee, coffee shop. A coffee yeah. shop isn't going to be playing the Six Nations? You need a sports coffee shop. I need somewhere with a television that's showing the Ireland-France game. So if you know where one you of those is know in that Phoenix. That they're playing that day? Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. That's a big game. We need to see it. The you real, in particular. The real trick that you want to find on the day before the Super Bowl is you want to grab, you want to go to the pregame party for one of the teams. Those are electric. 
the pregame party for a team is the day before the Super Bowl? Yeah, like I, when I was at the Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl and I went to the Patriots pregame party. So it's like all Patriots fans were going to this one place. And I knew it's just it's just a good time. It's just oh. a fun time. They had like local radio there. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, know. all the people I went to high school with are like random, like high school and college friends are just there in Houston and stuff. It was just fun. I want to watch. But you got to find those island friends. Well, maybe we'll do that after. What time? It's probably like 9 a.m. or something. It's going to be the morning. It's going to be the morning. Right. And then we'll go to the we'll go to the party after. It's in Glendale. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go to Phoenix because Glendale doesn't have an airport. Max, <laughs> we're going to fly to Phoenix. In Glendale's in the greater Phoenix area. The greater Phoenix area. Yeah. Yeah. See, Maybe I'll stop by Scottsdale. I'll show you the spring training site. I used to play with the Giants. Great. Yeah. Maybe we'll we'll get get on the field. You can try to hit me again. Yeah. Okay. All sorts of fun times. We're going to the Super Bowl. So I'll, I'll, we can have Warren Sharp, whatever his name is, we we'll have him on the podcast, and I can ask him why he makes up so much stuff that gets people riled up like me. Well, also, your first question could be, what's his name? What's your real name? Right. Give us your real name. Why'd you claim to make $16 million every single year? There's no way that's the Is case. Is your name even Warren? All right, we're going to get to the uh, Saturday games. But we, right now, there's four NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big in the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. If you're not a new customer, that's fine. You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code PFF. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. It's only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. You tried your hand at some uh, SGPs, didn't you? Yeah. Same-game parlays? Uh Uh-huh. You didn't win, huh? No, not this weekend. It hasn't gone well. Oh, my apologies. One of them was reliant. One of them was reliant on quite a successful uh, New York Giants offense, so that one went very badly. A couple of the other ones were close, but didn't didn't come away with the win. Do you want to finish with Giants Eagles? I said reverse order, but let's let's stay in the AFC here. Okay. Let's talk Jags Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs twenty seven, Jaguars twenty. There's your backdoor cover because they kicked the late field goal because Chris called down from the booth and said kick the field goal screwed our picks yeah 27 20 of course the big story here Patrick Mahomes with the high ankle sprain the turn in ankle sprain um what first off Mahomes was just unbelievable early on yeah it felt like he didn't make a pass with two feet on the ground anyway everything was on the move and finding dudes and getting open and all it was incredible and then he gets hit gets rolled up on completely legally by the way um, comes out of the game, could barely even walk. Could barely, he tried to you know, run a few more plays, couldn't even make a stretch handoff. He's hobbling on one leg. Chad Henney comes in, and it's like, oh, boy, Chad Henney's coming in for the next drive, and it's starting at the two-yard line. Good luck, Chad. Go get him. Which, uh, by the way, 15-year veteran Chad Henney, that one, like, hit hard, didn't it? Chad Henney's been in the league for 15 years. Hmm. 15 years. Well, his one, he, but also... He's been in the league that that long. Also, his sort of one year as a starter, right, was like 2013. So he was the sort of first post-Blaine Gabbert failure guy where it's like we've had enough of Gabbert. Yeah. Sit your ass down. You're done. I'm, he was I'm, the bridge no more. quarterback between Blaine Gabbert and Blake right. Bortles. So it's like finally Blaine Gabbert just played his way to the bench. And they were like, look, sit the hell down. I'm fed up with this. Chad, get your crap, get out there, see what you can do. And then after Chad had a shot, it was like, God, now we're in position to draft the next guy, Blake Bortles. 
And then somehow Blake takes him to the AFC title game, and then that you know falls apart. And but it's just phenomenal that we Blaine yeah. Gabbert's been in the league that long, and then Chad Henney has been in the league that long as primarily a backup, in addition to that one year where he basically replaced Gabbert. Henney has seen a lot of failed Jags quarterbacks along the way here, so he comes in and engineers a ninety-eight yard drive mm-hmm. i mean kind of sort of there's a there's a 15 yard roughing the passer or whatever it was it's engineering him. it was engineering there was a 39 yard run by isaiah pacheco um i have to say the chiefs stepped up without mahomes because when mahomes came back in so I th- you know mahomes comes back in in the second half and um my thought was they didn't put him in right away because they did have to go get x-rays right make sure it's not broken and I thought they didn't end up putting him right back in because they didn't want to put him in mid-drive, first of all. And then second, I did wonder if they were giving him uh, an injection, right? You get a little painkiller or whatever you would get. Does that take time to set in? Whatever it might be, right? So I thought, I thought it was reasonable that he might come back in the second half, and he did. Um, clearly not the same. Could barely walk. Certainly couldn't run, but he could move just enough in the pocket on one leg to just make spectacular throws. He missed a bunch of throws that he would normally make, but, you know, in the red zone when he needed to make a play, all that stuff was great. But, man, the Jag- to me, it felt like from two perspectives, the Jags missed a golden opportunity to just, you know, win a couple pass rushes, and Mahomes is contained, right? The most frustrating Mahomes plays are when he breaks contain. Mm. He didn't even have to break contain. The Jags didn't win any pass rushes ever. And then the Chiefs offensive line, from their perspective, I tweeted out the picture of the pocket Mahomes had. It looked like, you know, old school Big 12 game where there's not anybody within 10 yards of him because I thought the Chiefs old line just stepped up and said, all right, we're, we're going to protect him. And um, to me, that was the story of the game. Like the Jags had opportunities with an injured one-legged Mahomes to make plays and they couldn't do it. And the, the Chiefs around Mahomes, I mean, Mahomes played all right, too, on one leg. But the Chiefs around him, running the ball, pass protection, they all played pretty well. Yeah, it was such a fascinating game because of when the injury happened and sort of the dynamic around it. So you get basically an almost flawless Patrick Mahomes from the first quarter. I mean, he was just looking incredible, making any kind of play. Starts off with a veer option, like, you know, mobile athletic play. Then he has like a legit jump pass from the pocket where he's like contorted in midair, no feeder on the ground, still puts the ball exactly where it's supposed to go. Mahomes to Kelsey was just stealing the way it is all the time. And then all of a sudden his ankle gets rolled up on bad and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, that could be it. Um, And then you get almost like like a decent chunk of Chad Henney. He played like basically the whole second quarter, right? Um, so you get this Which was that long drive and then the right. kneel. So and you get, maybe another drive in there too? Sorry. I think so. So you get this decent chunk of Chad Henney, and then you get Mahomes comes out for the second half and obviously a completely different guy than he was in the first quarter because now he basically can't move. Or not just can't move, but so you sort of think, look, if there's one quarterback in the NFL that doesn't really matter, that he now has one feet, you know, one foot because he doesn't, it's not like he throws off his feet most of the time anyway. He's got ridiculous mechanics that I mean I was tweeting earlier in the game that imagine being a coach teaching kids you know how to play quarterback like fundamentals and then them watching Mahomes and everything he's doing and you come in you're like oh like forget everything you just saw like don't ever try any of that it's ridiculous um so he does that anyway 
But the problem is, when he's doing that, he's doing it from a position of, like, knowing when he's not going to have bad foot or not, you know? When you have the bad leg, it's the plays where you're not really thinking about it until you try and do something on it, and then it's just not there. That's when it causes problems. Like, he missed one just at a routine pass out to the right somewhere where it wasn't sort of a, a weird platform or anything, but it was when he put his foot in the ground, you could see it, like, instantly like the nerves fire like you hit the pain it fired up his body and all of a sudden that like changed everything right, right? it wasn't the push off it was the fact that you're you just you don't realize the the force that goes through your legs just to make a yeah, throw and it was until just like his, mid throw it just just his foot like yeah. came down connected with the ground you could like basically see the synapses through his body fire and it just tweaked everything on the right hand side of his body and all of a sudden the pass is a yard off that was where it was causing problems um but it, may, it presented this sort of fascinating dilemma for Jacksonville's defense. Like, what do you do to attack Mahomes now? Because you know, generally, you don't want to blitz Mahomes because he will carve you up. Like, it's, it's the one thing you don't do to him. Weirdly, they actually blitzed him quite a lot in the first quarter, and he was carving them up. Right. But all of a sudden, now you've got this guy that can't really move. So does that change what you do? Do you go after him now because he can't get away? Or do you say, well, theoretically, he still knows how to carve up the blitz, so let's just stay back and not do anything. And he was blitzed the same number of times in the second half combined as he was in the first quarter. I feel like you probably wanted to go in the other direction and say, let's make him make those plays now because he, he's stuck back there. So let's get after him. He can't get out anymore. So we're, we're going to have to force him to make those plays quickly and immediately and now. For a couple of reasons, right? Because he's not mobile enough, right? He has to, and, and then, because does he even have enough power to drive the ball down the field? Right. Right? So it's like, all right, we're going to assume the – look, hit the, ball, hit, it, hit the throw over the top. Now, like a, a touch pass is probably easier to throw when you don't have your leg than any, anything you have to zip in there. So if you're going to leave like a go ball on the table, that's risky. But that's not even Mahomes' game. Like think about – Think about as great as Mahomes is, how many times does he hit an in-rhythm, just straight go ball to his receivers? Like twice a year. He really doesn't do that all that often. So that's where I think the blitz and make him get rid of it, and then if you can just take away a first read, you have an opportunity there. But So I think from both perspectives, right? The Chiefs offensive line was fantastic. Trey Smith, Creed Humphrey, and Joe Tooney, the, the center and two guards, combined to allow one pressure between the three of them unbelievable and it wasn't just like we view pass rush a lot of times as like a binary did you win did you lose it was also like the jacks weren't getting close most of the time unless they blitzed trayvon walker josh allen uh roy robertson harrison nothing they did nothing and that's a pass rush that you know arden key those guys have had games where they're kind of clicking and you know they they get four or five pressures a piece and it looks it looks decent this was bad. I mean, the Jags lost it in the trenches. The Chiefs won it, I think, in the trenches. Then you add the Andy Reid factor. Um, Chad Henney's got a wide-open touchdown to Travis Kelsey. i got to preface this every single time, right? Mahomes, awesome. But we've seen when Mahomes has gotten hurt. We saw Matt Moore in 2019 when they won the Super Bowl come in for two games. And his passer rating was like 102 or whatever. They put up – they have offense. They create offense, right? Andy Reid has always created offense. Then you get him – a superhuman quarterback and now it's the best one of the best offenses of all time right i mean that's where we are so even though chad henney is a 15-year veteran and he's a backup and he threw for 26 yards or whatever they find a way to create offense then you have plays like travis kelsey getting targeted uh 
was 17 times, 14 catches for 98 yards. I know it's all underneath stuff, but two touchdowns, two short touchdowns. And there are plays where he's got Arden Key and Josh Allen. He's got the edge defenders covering him. To me, it just felt like missed opportunities for the Jags where they could say, attack Mahomes, take Kelsey away. All right, now, now what? All right, beat us, you know, 15, 20 yards down the field. Let's go. And um, Jags couldn't do it. And the Chiefs did. I mean, they did a great job. I think the rest of the team stepping up with Mahomes on one leg. Yeah, the other thing that was really interesting is I think it was right after um, Mahomes was back in the game, they had the Jags defense dropped an interception off a batted pass that Olakun dropped it. If Olakun took it away from Tyson Campbell, who was about to break in front of the receiver and would have taken it himself, and I think if he'd caught it, would have housed it. Like, there wasn't anything in front of him if he'd managed to catch it and keep running. So that dropped interception is probably a seven-point play for Jacksonville that they didn't get. Um, that like That's the kind of play where, all right, you've just been handed this lifeline, right? You're in trouble against Kansas City. All of a sudden, Mahomes is injured. The whole game is taken on a different complexion, and now he's back in the game, one-legged, and he just hands you seven points. And it wasn't even like... You know, it was, it was off a batted pass. It's not like it was an egregious mistake. Not Mahomes' fault necessarily, right. but it's still like the ball. But it's like this is here. the kind of yeah. lucky break, if yeah. you like, that you need on defense if you're going to take advantage of a team like the Chiefs. And they dropped it. They couldn't make that play. Like that is a potential. I mean, ultimately, it ended up obviously being a seven-point difference, right? Because they covered with that field goal, but. Like, that would have been a huge play in this game. And when they played in the regular season, the Jags actually got those breaks, right? I think Mahomes threw him one interception. They had the fumble on the kickoff return. The Jags got those breaks just to be within 10 right. against a healthy Chiefs and team. And then, like, the flip side of that is they weren't quite making the plays that they made last week, right? When the comeback against the Chargers, yeah. every time Trevor Lawrence dials it up, yeah, he hit something big or he made a big play, right? This time, I think he... Didn't he audible again when he took that shot to Kirk, the miss? I don't remember pre-snap what it was. That was a beautiful throw. I think he audible into that again and took the deep shot to Christian Kirk, and Kirk couldn't come up with it. It's like, again, those are the plays. You can't – those are such high-leverage plays that if you leave those on the table, you're just passing up such a huge chance to win the game. Yeah, that was – for Lawrence, he was was pretty effective early on. I thought the – I mean, they had, what, Carl Loftus covering Christian Kirk coming out of the backfield. That was a well-schemed-up pass, the first touchdown by the Jags. That was a good answer, man. Yeah. Like, the Chiefs went down and drove. They, they drive down. They get the seven. It looked a lot like what the Eagles did later that day. It looked a lot like, um, I don't know, just a lot of the games where just the favorite goes down and it's like, we're the better team, yeah. right? Um, but the Jags answered, right? And it was a well-schemed-up play to Christian Kirk. And they had, Yeah, they did. They, they did a good job of this, and they had – they had several of these plays where if one of them goes their way, we're maybe talking about a different game, whether it's the dropped interception, whether it's Christian Kirk coming up with that bomb. Agnew almost answered a touchdown with a kick return touchdown and got tackled by the kicker. Yeah. And not really, like, got tackled by the kicker by, like, clipping the kicker's face with his heel after he left him in the dust, you know? Like, that, that's the difference between them scoring or not. Yeah, it is one of those games, even – with Mahomes hurt as the underdog, you need those plays to go your way. And or at least one of them. At least one of them, absolutely. Um, so Lawrence hits Christian Kirk on a beautiful deep ball in the first half. Dro- uh, Kirk drops it. That would have that would have flipped the field right before the half, a little bit before the half. Um, I thought Lawrence played well overall. He had to force a couple late when they were down. Ends yeah. up get, getting picked. 
Um, I also thought the Chiefs defense played pretty well. We're talking about the opportunities for the Jags, but coverage unit across the board, we knew they were going to play a lot of man coverage. We knew they were going to press and uh, make the windows tight, and they did. I thought they played um, just a you know good, solid game back and forth. I thought it was a good, clean game back and forth. Um, and even though there are times like that, there are times where it feels like the Chiefs are just Mahomes and friends and that he carries the squad, right? This was a good all-around effort. The Chiefs don't have a bad roster by any means. Part of the strategy of trading Tyreek Hill was to add depth across the board, right? And that's what they've done the last couple of years. I've disagreed with the Tyreek Hill move. It still might come back to bite next week. Who knows? Not having that big play of Tyreek Hill. But the Chiefs have done a better job of making the defense a tick better, the offensive line better. The receivers are still solid. They're good enough across the board. And then Mahomes, you know, carries them and makes them elite. Yeah, I don't act like, you know, Mahomes getting hurt made them better because it obviously didn't. But it felt like when they were sort of forced into this mode of, all right, how do we protect? How does the offense change with Mahomes now one-legged? Um, and they started to run the ball a bit more. And all of a sudden, you're sort of reminded that they have maybe the best run-blocking offensive line in the NFL. You're like, this is potentially something that you should tap into more generally like yeah. even even when everybody's healthy and the offense is cooking like maybe we should lean into the fact that these guys can just maul opposing defenses a bit like they started running the ball with isaiah pacheco and doing like they were opening up some big holes because like creed humphrey creed humphrey is a very similar player and profile to jason kelsey stylistically but he outweighs him by like 40 50 pounds like he's, he's a huge big, creed is a big center right but with, so, with Kelsey-like skills up front, for sure. Yeah, so when you've got these guys up front that can move like that, I mean, that's it feels like that's a thing you should use a lot. Um, I, I think the Pacheco addition, too, I've said this before, too, it just adds a different type of player that you need to tackle, right? I mean, when you're preparing for this offense, it starts with Mahomes, and you got to beat him. You know, he's in the pocket. He's out of the pocket. you got to figure out Kelsey. And then, oh, by the way, there's a power runner with speed in the backfield in Pacheco. And then you add the Jarek McKinnon and Kadarius Tony aspect, right? Tony, by the way, who's running like Pacheco. Unbelievably hard, right? And there were plays. I was half joking when I said, hey, uh, McKinnon and Tony are like uh, Debo and McCaffrey, right? Here's a run. But there were some plays where you'd see Tony in the backfield and McKinnon split out wide, right? You're interchanging receivers and running backs. And it's like those little edges that just add up. And Tony is a guy who's got some of the shiftiest plays you'll ever see. And all of a sudden, he's running with power too, like he's Percy Harvin. I never thought he had that type of strength as a runner. And we've done overrating like 36 yards from Kadarius Tony, but all those little things are adding up for the Chiefs because it makes life difficult on opposing offenses when they're trying to account for all these weapons. I mean, Tony is a pretty big guy. Like, I think what, what he's sort of doing is tapping into that for the first time. Like, throughout his career before... He's been like, well, I move like a freak. I'm going to try and avoid, you know, hits as much as possible. Now he's like, I'm six foot, 200 pounds. If I lower the shoulder, it's not going to be fun for you. Like, let's tap into that as well as the movement skills. Um, so just from like a high level perspective, I think, hey, good year from the Jags, right? They, they were three and seven, maybe three and eight, right? They were three and seven at one point. Completely turn this thing around, make a playoff run, make it to the divisional round. They're not as good as the Chiefs, even with the injury to Mahomes. Um, they certainly have something to build upon. I thought Trevor Lawrence looked good during the playoff run after the the slow start against the Chargers. Um, there was definitely times we talk about what what was missing this year that came back to bite. I do think the the true number one for Jacksonville when you need it 
to, you know, that who's that one guy to step up? Look, Christian Kirk had really good production, but I thought the Jags, it was a combination of Kirk's got a good skill set, speed and quicks and everything, but they did so much to get him into space, to scheme him open and everything, much like the, the wheel route. Get that, get the Jags that one wide receiver one that Trevor Lawrence can be aggressive with and just win when they need to. Well, they become fascinating next year because remember they traded for Calvin Ridley, yeah. right, with his suspension for the single game parlays. Um, so potentially Calvin Ridley is ready to step into this offense. They're also, I mean, as much as they probably weren't as bad as they looked last year, it was just the Urban Meyer effect. I don't know if they were quite ready for where they are this year. They still have enough holes on the roster that you know they they i think were right to get beaten by a team like kansas city and, and not be playing in championship weekend but like if they can add a couple play playmakers here or there and not just at receiver but like across the roster now you could be talking about something fun yeah for sure even like travis Etienne, he ran really hard he's breaking tackles he's he was got getting the a lot speed. of joy in this yeah game. he had a good game man and i thought you know not that you want to run him five or ten more times, but he finishes with ten carries for 62. They were effective running ETN. So I thought that was excellent. So now the big story, of course, is going to be Mahomes and his health, right? Mm-hmm. So you made it through the game. This is not an injury that disappears in a week normally. Right. It did look bad. It was bad. Um, it doesn't disappear in a week. There's going to be some kind of mobility issues. Oh, the one other point I wanted to make. I think the Chiefs offensive line deserves credit for sure, but... We've heard before how much easier it is for an O-line to block for a quarterback where you know where he is, right? So maybe like Brady, you know, is always going to be at seven and a half yards and he's going to be, that's it, right? You know the landing spot. The defense does too, but you know what you're blocking for. Um, We've heard Kirk Cousins being complimented for this, right? Guys that don't drop back too far because it's, guys who drop back too far changes the angles and geometry of of, of the block. There may have been some of that actually benefiting the Chiefs. And Mahomes, if he never had to break the pocket, can still win, right? He could still win by just picking apart a defense. But I also think that you lose the special, right? You lose the, when it's not schemed up, when it's not there, Mahomes is going to create. So it'll be interesting next week to see. I think the Bengals are as disciplined as any team as far as pass rush lanes, and especially with Mahomes containing him and everything. Um, That's the other thing the Jags should have thought about, right? Like, he was never going to break out of the pocket the same way that he had previously. He was not going to run left or run right. He was What Mahomes did was just step up way more than he normally does. He doesn't like to step up in the pocket. He doesn't do that. So it'll be interesting to see how the Bengals handle their, um, you know, their launch point as pass rushers and what they're attacking, how much mobility Mahomes will have, and then how the Chiefs scheme it up to offset the injury going into next week. I mean, it's also a fascinating um, coaching conundrum for Andy Reid. Like, because Mahomes is going to go, whatever. Like, yeah. even if Mahomes had, even if he was not functional whatsoever, he would go out and try. I mean, we saw it in this game, right? He went immediately right back in. And then, was it a timeout or something came up and gave him enough chance to quickly get it taped? And then after they got a tape, they finally convinced him to go and get it x-rayed and check it's not broken. And then finally, that presumably got him, you know, <laughs> Chad Henney does well. They've probably got enough time to be, all right, chill for a little bit. Patrick, we can yeah. figure out what we're doing here. Maybe they give him the injection. I have no idea. I haven't heard about it. But whatever. He's out for a little bit, and then he goes back in. Point being, whether or not he had any business being out there, he is going to go out and give this a shot. So then it becomes an Andy Reid decision of what percentage of Mahomes is better than Chad Henney? 
Like if if this is 60% Mahomes, he's 60% healthy, that's probably still better than Henny, right? If it's 40% Mahomes, is that still better than Henny? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> like how much, yeah. like how bad does he have to be before you think we probably are better with Henny? It's probably pretty bad. Single digits. Right. So like Nine percent of Mahomes. If he can literally not even move in the pocket, like Mahomes he's just with a one and a half limbs. It, it's not. I mean, it's not a knock on Henny. It really is. It's like the superstardom. It doesn't mean that Mahomes will definitely do it. It's going to be a challenge against this Bengals defense, which is much different than the Jags defense. It's going to be a challenge. But it's just it's the superstar aspect of it. Because even in this game, it's like Mahomes is going to throw one in the dirt on a swing pass or whatever it was. Okay, the injury is a factor clearly. But when they needed one in the red zone and he needed to get a little bit of room in the pocket and make a little jump throw on the wrong leg and all that stuff, he's going to do it, right? It's, and so the superstar is going to rise up for a handful of plays. If he could just keep it close, you trust that the superstar in him is going to rise up for a few plays and make history. And I think that's what the Chiefs are going to be banking on next week. Yeah, it also, it, like, potentially the game plan that you would draw up to attack a guy that is injured to the point where he can't really move is the exact opposite of the game plan that you would usually associate with defending Patrick Mahomes. So like, what is the last thing you want to do to Mahomes is attack recklessly, force him on, like make him move from the pocket and potentially then break contain and do something crazy out in the move, right? Whereas if he can't move, you actually want to force him to start doing that stuff. You want to send stunts and blitzes and weird things up the middle that makes him at least move to his right. And all of a sudden he realizes, oh, I can't move to my right now. I'm just sort of hobbling nowhere and I have to quickly get rid of this ball because there's somebody chasing me. Like, do you spend the week figuring out, you know, what kind of stunts can we use? Like, what can we do to force him off the spot? Or do you say, well, hang on, what if he's like 80% healthy and this just plays into what he does well? Well, there's two things at play here, right? Last year's Bengals had a ton of success with the three-man rush, remember? That was the, yeah. that was the big second-half adjustment. It's a different year, it's a different team, it's a different scheme. The Bengals didn't use that a ton in the last matchup until a key third down, right? In the last third down that Mahomes had, they go three-man rush, they disguised it pretty well, and then they get the sack. I think the Bengals are the best at falling back and knowing where he's going to move. I think what changes is how the teams are going to pass rush, how the Bengals are going to rush him, because normally the ends are going to get upfield and you're worried about him going through past the guards, say. Like he'll escape up and out past the guards. I don't think he's going to do that, right? I don't think he can run. And if he does, you let him, right? What I think needs to change, the Chiefs are going to change the way they pass block. And those three, the center guard guard, those guys are going to be stout in the middle because this is like, it's going to be like blocking for Breeze or Brady, where they need the, the top of the pocket protected, or the, you know, the middle of the pocket protected. And the Bengals are going to try to attack that part of the pocket, where all he can do is move up, pretty much. If you want to move laterally, like, go for it, man. Um, so that, to me, that's assuming the mobility is similar to what we saw yesterday. To me, that's going to be the interesting one in, in that matchup there. So it's going to be, it's still going to be fun. I see the... Um, not fun here the tony pollard news yeah as he's hitting free agency you want to touch on that todd archer tweeted that he suffered a fractured left fibula that will require surgery uh normally those require three-month recovery and of course pollard is heading into free agency uh off the back of the season so the fact that it's a break dr monson here is that okay you know breaks are pretty not, no surgeries routine or simple but is that like uh hey we know what the recovery is 
as long as surgery goes well. Yeah, I mean, I expect him back next year and whatever else. happens. I wouldn't expect it being a bad thing for him going into next year, but it just sucks for him to, you know, enter free agency off a really good year. But with with an injury like that, um, you know, a guy who I think his free agent market is already going to be very weird, given his career and the whole, you know, don't pay running backs, big, big money, second contracts kind of thing. I think he was already heading into a strange free agent period. So to be doing that with. With, an, with that broken leg that you're recovering from is just not great. Interesting game happening in the chat here. Guess Dak's grade. Feel free to put in a number there. <laughs> um, I believe it's going to be below 50. I would hope so. I believe it could be in the uh, 35 to 45 range. <laughs> 35, 40 could be Dak's grade. It's in the cheeks range. It's in the, <laughs> it's in the cheeks range. We, 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 can we uh, update the, uh, the, the scale. color scale? You know, blue, blue chip, elite, whatever this is, dark red, just cheeks. 40 is bad, but anything below that's just cheeks. Cheeks. So, uh, yeah, sad. Anything else on this Jaguars-Chiefs game? Uh, no, but Tyler's in there having some kind of minor conniption in the booth, wants to tell people to hit the like button before he loses his mind. Tyler wants us to do that? Yeah. Where's he talking to us? And oh. the, the chat there. There you go. See, Talk can we get over? Tell your friends too. Like, how many um, how many viewers do we have here? We have currently nine ninety three. Get somebody else to log in. Can we get over a thousand live viewers here? Hit the like button. Tell your friends. Like, we're cooking here. Game right after the games. You guys like this right after the games? Is this what you would you prefer? This we can't do it all the time, but maybe next week after championship week, because it's not too late, right? It's not that late right now. It's great. Nine ninety three is the uh, the perfect uh, model of the Porsche nine eleven. The nine, let's stick at 993 then. Would I fit? Well, now in we're the, down uh, to 992. Would I that fit just, in the Porsche 911? No, not a chance. I asked people to get more people to log in, and somebody like logged out. Like, right, that's forget the power you. you have. Good work. Forget you, Steve. Um, well, sweet. This thing's going great. Appreciate everybody for being here live right after the show. If you're listening on Monday morning, great. We'll be there. We're here Monday morning as well. We're just here earlier. Yeah. Um, but I don't have to get up at 5:30 tomorrow. It's 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 nice. It'll be nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna sleep in till at least six. All right, let's talk about this other game. Don't Eagle. say it like that. That's not that's Eagles not fans should be it. excited. I mean, yeah. Well, look, fans of teams love dominant games, especially against division rivals. Yeah, it's tough to beat a team three times. It is. Uh, Eagles thirty-eight, Giants seven. Dominant from start to finish. Yeah, by the Eagles. Uh huh. Which uh, kind of felt like. I mean, it's just if you forget the the second game they played, and you just went back to the first one. Even with all the Giants injuries in that game. This, this is, but this is what the teams are. Right. The Eagles are a better team than the Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I was trying to say. I, again, I haven't been right very often no. this year in particular. But the wild card hype, the last thing you saw, the Jags, you know, the, um, the Giants, great win against the Vikings, you know, right? And it's like, <laughs> and it's, it's so fun. It's so easy to see, like, to, oh, this wild card team. This is the team of destiny. It's going to happen. And, we were playing that game, right? The 07 Giants and the 96 Jags were playing that game. But I reminded people, don't get too caught up in the wild card hype because the teams that have buys or the one and two seeds are still really, really good teams. And I thought the Eagles and Chiefs really showed that, especially right at the beginning of the game where both teams just go down the, go down the field and score. I mean, I got to say, a large portion of this game, I was left thinking, just how bad is that Vikings defense? Sure. Like, they were annihilated by the Giants offense that is getting murdered by the Philadelphia defense here 
Like, it was insane. They, they just got absolutely destroyed. The Eagles' defensive line was wrecking shop again. They did that uh, most of the season. Their sack rate this year is crazy. They've been a really good pass rush team, but, like, they have a lower pressure rate than Dallas does, but they have a sack rate that's way higher, which I think probably tells you a lot about how important the secondary is and how much that like there's a symbiosis there right the secondary works in tandem with the pass rush and if you only have one of them it's never going to look as good as it should which is in part why miles garrett has an incredibly high pff grade an incredibly high pass rush win rate a ton of those bd blocks that we talk about those wins that don't get to become pressure because if the secondary stinks if they're giving up plays it doesn't matter the ball's coming out and they're getting beat um the cowboys are are beating everybody in terms of pressure rate but their secondary is not able to do what the eagles are because they don't have the combination of james bradbury and darius slay and everything else that the eagles can bring to the table so they're the team with the insane sack rate and they were they were getting home in this game yeah it was just dominant from start to finish the eagles um they've looked like the best team in the league for for most of the season right there was a little bit of a lull down the stretch Gardner Minshew started two games and um even the you know the Cowboys game was closed they got beat up pretty bad by the Saints but this has been the best team in the league with my answer being they're going to do it in different ways right there might have been there was a point late in the game and you know I hate this so much where it looked like AJ Brown was being consoled a little bit for something so I'm not going to project what it was but okay. it could, could it be that he only had three catches for 22 yards or was it a certain play or was it whatever? But like there were games this year where A.J. Brown was the difference. I still will reiterate, I believe A.J. Brown is the biggest, was the biggest, uh, most impactful move on draft night, round one, the Eagles trading for him and paying him all that money. He is one of the most transformative players in the NFL this year. Um, we have to, I got to go back and do the research, but I think a lot of the, the Ryan Tannehill resurgence for three years, you do the Witten without A.J. Brown, right? Witten without Philly, cheesesteak people. Mm. Um, Wit A.J. Brown, really, really good. Without, pretty average. And Jalen Hurts goes from pretty average to really good with A.J. Brown. He had three catches for 22 yards. Eagles scored 38. Because this particular week, they had Devontae Smith, who was just so good after the catch, man. I'll talk about him in a minute. Dallas Goddard. They had the run game, which was unstoppable. Jalen Hurts facilitating the whole thing. They didn't need A.J. Brown to score 38 points in this game. Now, next week, could be A.J. Brown, 10 catches for a buck 50, and that's the reason why they win. But that's one of the reasons why I think this Eagles team is so good. Yeah, I mean, they. this was the one that I sort of had the least to say about because it was just simple. I mean, the Eagles dominated both sides of the ball. It's really all there is to it. We, you know, their their defense was uh, stuffing that Giants offense without too many problems. The other side of the ball, um, that was kind of interesting because pregame, Jalen Hurts told Pam Oliver that he's nowhere near 100% was the words he used. You're like, ooh. Like, he was off the injury report all week, and all of a sudden it's like, actually, you know, I'm not even close to 100%. That's not great. He looked fine. Like, that. I don't know if that was just what you say before a playoff game in case you stink. And you're like, nah, it was the shoulder. I told you that before the game. Um, but he looked good. But Lane Johnson was also coming back. And I didn't realize that his injury was as severe as it is. Um, he's coming back not in a I'm fixed way, but in a I need surgery and I can just get through the pain for a few weeks yeah. and then have the surgery. So apparently um, 
Cam Jordan has had this before and played through it. And Lane Johnson talked to him about like you know how best to manage it. What what, what it's is it exactly? like? It's some sort of I don't some hit groin injury like a that's going to require type thing. Or I don't know. Yeah. It's an injury to his groin that's going to require surgery. The specifics of which I don't know. But he talked to Cam Jordan, who was basically saying it's going to be agony every play. And you just have to, you know, it's just a pain thing. You just have to get through it. He was like, oh, great, sweet. And you could see, you know, there were a couple of plays like early in the game where he's got to like catch a bull rush or whatever. And you're like, dude, whatever about like containing your own 300 pound frame, having to like catch a 270 pound dude who's running at you in addition to your own 300 pound frame on your banji groin, that like, that's not fun. So kudos to him for a going out there gutting it out b playing as well as he did gutting it out and now hopefully he holds up for the the rest of their games because i mean lane johnson makes a huge difference to that group and we just saw that again evidence that the eagles have the best offensive line in the nfl they have all season long when they've got their five starters out there they destroy people and dexter lawrence in particular you know you go back a week against minnesota you can argue Dexter Lawrence was the difference in that game. I mean, he destroyed Minnesota's interior offensive line. They could not block him late on at all. He had a ton of pressure in that game, particularly late when everything was on the line. He didn't have any pressures in this game. Uh, our guy Dave Solfaro said that was the first time this season he's had zero pressures. Uh, they eliminated him completely, essentially, from the game. As a pass rusher and as a run defender, he wasn't as big. He wasn't a huge impact either. There's that great play where. Um, Jason Kelsey, you know, has seen Pancake and a dude. Like, they just destroyed in the run game as well. Yeah, they really did, man. That play, by the way, as fun as is the, beautiful. As, as fun as Dexter Lawrence was last week and, the, you know, this even just the entire defensive front and the story of Brian Dayball, you know, them um, overachieving this year and everything, it just, they were overmatched. Yeah, that play by Kelsey is beautiful, by the way, because everyone is sort of going, you know, look at the power he shows here to, basically tossed the guy to the side but it was the quickness of thought that was most impressive because like he's going it's a zone play to that side he's trying to i think it's a zone play he's trying to reach block the guy get in front of him he realizes quite early on the play that he's never going to quite get there to get all the way around him and cut him off so he sort of goes well if i'm not going to get there i'm going to immediately swing back the other side and just drive him forward and that that sort of change in mind midway through the play and pivot to what he was planning on doing just completely catches the defensive tackle off guard and he gets ends up getting launched for a complete ride. But like in the space of a split second, Kelsey goes from trying to execute what he's normally able to do and, and very good at, realizing he's not going to quite get there, changing his mind and pivoting completely to a different plan, which results in completely pancaking the dude who wasn't able to, you know, follow the same split second calculations at the same time and just ends up getting tossed to a heap on the floor and then either way kelsey's block ends up being the one that opens a giant lane for the running back yeah kelsey's awesome man. i mean that's why he's Impressive. legitimately got like a hall of fame you know uh resume building because he's done it kelsey my favorite thing about kelsey jason um when he's out in space like looks like a linebacker right you know, the fact that he's so undersized and then does stuff like you're saying that but just, this you was, don't see on the football field and this was time. one of the it's one of the sort of rare instances where he didn't quite get it done with his athleticism like normally you see him get all the right all the way around the defensive tackle seal him off and that's the play you're talking about right it's like wow that athleticism that kind of movement skills the speed of a linebacker and this time it's like he didn't quite get there but his his 
adjustment for not quite getting there ended up being even more effective than the block that he was trying to execute in the first place. Um, so the other thing I wanted to note, right? So early in the game, Eagles go up. They're, it's 7 to nothing. Giants go for it on 4th and 8. So they're coming back. It's 4th and 8 on the Eagles 40. And I don't this wasn't um, – I was, I was actually watching on mute for a big part of the time. I don't know if any of this stuff was criticized or any of that. But it's a pretty obvious go-for-it situation. It's a low percentage, um, low conversion rate on 4th and this, 8. Which commentary team was this? Was this Moose? This was with Moose, yeah. yeah. So I have no idea if this was – being criticized or whatever it may have been they had just gotten sacked on third and three so they made it fourth and eight and you know i talk about this all the time when you move backwards into fourth down it feels like the coach is far more likely to punt or make a different decision right because you just had a negative play but they go for it on fourth and eight daniel jones gets sacked couldn't get rid of the ball by, by hassan reddick and that leads to a short field for philly who just you know goes right down scores the second touchdown to make it 14 to nothing um this is the other side of go for it decisions when it doesn't work it you do lose a lot of win probability in these in these plays right you lose a significant amount especially when you lose eight yards on the play when you get sacked and, and so philly takes over at their own 48 coming out of that i'm not criticizing this the, this the decision necessarily but we talk a lot of times through the lens of you have to go for this because if you get it here are the things that are going to happen the problem and a lot of times we say you have to go for this in the tight red zone because if you don't get it the other team has to go a long field or whatever but this is one of those in-between situations which you know going for it on the 40 is pretty common historically in the nfl but this was a tough one for the giants right they lose possession of the ball of course give it to philly at the 48 you're already overmatched and you know philly goes down goes up 14 nothing and they're off to the races for the for the blowout so it was a pivotal play in the game that I think was the right decision to go for it on fourth and eight. But when you don't get it, you saw the inherent risk on the other side. It's a really short field for Philly. And, you know, they make it 14 nothing pretty quickly. But then you had at the end of the game, very curious decisions, right? Down 28 to seven, the Giants punt early fourth quarter on their own 42. And there was another one later. There was two punts in there, which felt like giving up for a playoff game. Yeah. Even though you're overmatched offensively, like your only chance to score is essentially with the ball. Like you're you're basically hoping for a fumble from the Eagles at that point. I think early in the game, the Giants sort of felt like because they're coming off a game a week ago where their offense looked amazing, right? And that some of the takes coming out of that game. I will not shave my head if we get to 500 likes, but we can. (laughs) I mean, I'd like to get 500 likes. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Some of the takes coming out of last week's game were pretty out there, right? Oh, I want to get to that. I want to get to that. The Even Jones. forgetting the Dan Jones thing. Like there the were Giants a lot of Jones. there was a lot of crazy stuff being talked about this Giants offense. And again, like I'm only marginally better than you are this year in terms of saying things that, that aren't wrong. You've been not not you haven't been right a lot, you know? I haven't been right a lot either, but I'm right a lot more than you. So I was at least saying, look, you, we have to, you can't divorce this from the, the defense that they were facing, which has been horrendous. Minnesota's defense has been a joke. So, of course, this, this Giants offense was going to look good. But from their point of view, like they're coming out of that game. Jones had maybe the best game of his career. The offense looked great. Like they're thinking they're in a groove and um, Brian Dayball should be coach of the year and blah, blah, blah. So early in this game, things haven't gone their way. Philadelphia's looking good. It's fourth and eight. 
I think you can sort of you can get in the mindset where they think, oh, we can pick this up and then we can answer and, and we can get back into that groove, right? We're not, this isn't how this game is going to go. We just need to recapture what was there last week. I don't think they sort of foresaw like, the way this game was going to go, which is we're just massively overmatched and not we're not going to be able to hang with this. Um, I want to, I think, uh, Craig Rosenthal again, he had said, I, I try not to listen to too much other NFL analysis so I don't skew my own perception. I want to come up with, uh, with fresh takes here, you know, with okay. original stuff, even if I'm completely wrong. But I thought Greg did a good job saying that this year reminds him of Sean McDermott and the Bills making the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor in their first year. So 2017, it was the year before they drafted Josh Tyrod, Allen. Who almost got a play in this game. Do you see that? Almost. Yeah. yeah. Came in, he was on the field, yeah. and then they were like, no, come. We don't need you. Back to the sideline. Danny Dimes is, is okay. He found his contact. Get yeah, back, get back. Um, but he, he, he likened it to that year, which is like, the Bills weren't going to do anything in the playoffs that year. But, you know, there's a coaching staff that kind of overachieved and just kind of laid the, the groundwork for the future. And I think that's a fair assessment of the Giants this year. Like, they had no business being in the playoffs this year, given the talent on that team but they found a way they tapped into uh, daniel jones as a runner they you know schemed it up defensively and you know created variants and all these things that we've said about them this year they did it with a depleted receiving core you know traded away their first round receiver Kadarius tony who was never on the field for them kenny galladay has more pancakes than touchdowns this year they're high-priced receiver and they made the playoffs i think it's a good successful season for brian dable and the giants at the same time the the overreaction as you said to not only, you know, will the darling Giants, you know, pull the upset and do this and that. Clearly that um, that just didn't come to fruition. No. Um, like, I, I think the, the last two weeks we sort of, I think, found out more or less what we were expecting about both the Giants and the Vikings. Like, these teams overachieved. They did a good job. They made it to the playoffs when, I mean, look, nobody was expecting the Vikings to be good this year. They, the Packers were supposed to walk away with that division and maybe the Vikings could be the next best team and maybe make the postseason and do a little bit better than the year before. But they weren't expected to be good good because they didn't really change anything, right? They overhauled the, the regime. They got a new head coach and a new GM, but they stayed with basically the same personnel. Um, so for them to, to win the games that they did was an achievement, but there was no underlying data point that really said this is going to achieve anything once you meet the best teams in the postseason. And then for the Giants, you couldn't even really find underlying data points. It was like there's nothing here that says this team should be winning the games they are. So at some point, that's probably going to get found out. And they were. I mean, the, Gi the Giants knocked off the Vikings, but then the Giants ran up against Philadelphia, who do look like one of the best teams in the NFL, and they simply were overmatched. Um, so Daniel Jones ends the game with a 46.7 grade. So I I wasn't trying to be mean or anything like that, but I had to pose the question, right? Because I don't like the overreaction stuff. Jones had been very impressive down the stretch. He'd played his best ball from week 13 on. I even cited the stat going into the uh, on the podcast since week 13, QB2. It mm -hmm. was Joe Burrow and Daniel Jones from a grading standpoint. I also said this is statistical malpractice because you don't just you pick did. a random point and say, well, Daniel Jones is the second best quarterback. I was trying to paint the picture, though he's playing well down the stretch. So for the Twitter overreactors or the social media, or just the general overreactors who last week in a wild card game against a pretty bad Vikings defense said, Daniel Jones just made himself a lot of money. 
He's a free agent this year, doesn't have the fifth year option picked up. He's hitting the market. Just made himself a lot of money last week against the Vikings. Has the money been taken away after a poor performance this week? How do you handle it? If you made a lot of money last week, you're saying, hey, we can win a playoff game with Daniel Jones. Does your perception change just a week later when he has his worst game of the season, second worst game of the season, against a, certainly a much better defense? He's under pressure nonstop. But that's also like part of the point here, right? This game also won us two more bets. Rufus and uh, Nathan Jacobson each had the Giants either making the championship. Yeah, yeah we had some aggressive uh, Giants bets saying yeah. they were going to the a, uh, NFC Championship and or the Super Bowl. So, so. Chalk up another two wins for us. What did we win? What these Nothing. Guys, just what these guys bet? Kudos. More coffee. Send the coffee beans. Smugness. Send us all the coffee. It's great. Um, do you have any thoughts? Like, what should the Giants... Like, does this... It's well, really interesting. What should the Giants coaching staff do right with yeah. daniel jones and we'll plenty of off-season time to talk about it i but. think i mean uh, yeah i think daniel jones is in the fortunate situation of they don't have a very easy path to a much better option you know right so is has daniel jones really done enough for you to go that's the guy let's go with him going forward no but what is your alternative because you're not picking high in the draft um you don't really i mean there aren't going to be really free agent quarterbacks that are going to be a massive upgrade unless you're talking about somebody like tom brady who's 127 years old and that's probably not something you want to sign up to so do the giants wish that they picked up his fifth year option instead of declining it yeah with that being said they're probably still better off like keeping him on a franchise tag like keeping him short term and then seeing what happens you know let's give this another year and see where we go because, I mean, I don't really see an alternative, right? What is, do you trade for a Derek Carr? Is that that much of an upgrade over Daniel Jones? Probably not, and it's more expensive. So I think just by fortune of circumstance, he's probably their guy next year. But I, I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't be going, all right, to the table now, negotiating, or what is this $250 million contract going to look like, Daniel? Yeah. Like, no. Like, I mean, I, I completely acknowledge, like, the human element mean something in all of this and i think the daniel jones human element is really attractive right like the the people at duke loved him right they raved about daniel jones Mm -hmm. the dave gettleman in his last regime and there's something to like the consistency that he brings and they trust him and everybody seems to love daniel jones just like everybody seems to love josh allen right i mean they they i don't know they seem to like him at the same time, if you're the coaching staff and you're like, hey, we didn't get the best quarterback play this year. We kind of maximized Daniel Jones. We tapped into the legs a little bit. Like, yeah, we can do better. I also, right? We, as a coaching staff, like we, Mike Kafka and Dave, like we're going to do better. Give us a little bit better and we're going we're gonna to win more games. There might be no quarterback in the NFL that inspires such deranged week-to-week hyperbole swings than Daniel Jones. I mean, this is a guy who a lot of people coming out including you know a lot of people here said that he basically couldn't play he was terrible had no business being a starter blah blah blah. and then after week one was it preseason week one or just week one week one after one game people are tweeting apologies like wow i got that one wrong daniel jones is amazing name him dan o dan o was one of such people there were other people apologizing the giants like their official twitter account i went i looked for this and i couldn't find it again i don't know if they deleted it but I'm pretty sure their official Twitter account was like coming after people for after that, like week one, being like, well, where are you now? You know, and then 
then people were like writing him off, being like, this guy's garbage, this guy can't play, Daniel Jones stinks. After the Vikings game, it's like, Daniel Jones is amazing, where are you now? Like, give him some respect. And then now it's, he's back to stinking again. It's like, can we just chart a line of best fit somewhere in the middle here, which is we were probably too low on him coming out. Then he outperformed expectations for a while. Then he, he declined, and now he's getting better again in a very well-coached offense, but he's still, like, average. I nailed it. I still nailed it. He's Nick Foles, but with, with much better mobility. And with <laughs> dramatically better. less, like, swings to either extreme. I, I, thought, I thought Daniel Jones would have more of the swings because of his, he, was, he, was, he was tough. Like, he was tough and willing to make um, difficult throws. But either way, we'll have more Daniel Jones discussion this offseason, I'm sure. Um, but I would say, look, congrats, Giants fans. I thought it was a good season, you know, be happy about the coaching staff in the future. I thought we thought they nailed the draft with Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal. Mm -hmm. Neal's got some room to grow, but I think, you know, process-wise, I think the Giants are in a good spot to build. Um, but they have a lot of work to do, right? I mean, every year there's four or five new playoff teams, and going into next year, unless there's a lot of changes and new talent in New York and in Minnesota and some of these other teams, like, they're going to be the prime teams that we say, are these, can they actually make it back to the playoffs? Can they um, actually get better? There's a, an interesting discussion going on in the chat right now where Victor has noticed also that you're going bald, like I have. Um, and then Brad has pointed out that this show only has room for one bald host at a time, which is obviously me. I don't so, think I'm bald. I'm not going bald. Well, it's I keep you're going bald because this is receding backwards. That's how that works. I've always had a widow's peak. This is I swear it. to God, now that we have some time and resource to put into the uh, PFF NFL show, Tyler, we need to find a clip from like, you know, five years ago where Steve's hairline was back here somewhere and then just overlay it into it. Like some sort of movie, you know, like a GIF that shows the retreating of his hairline upwards just to prove to him what's what happening. What do I do to keep it strong? What do I do, I do to maintain that, it? Well, you can probably, can we get like a him sponsorship or the, or the keeps? What's, who are those people? What's the best on the, uh, what's the best on the market? I, I, do you think I know? Do I look yeah. like a man that's had success in this field? You're a little late to the party, man. You should have thought about this a few years ago. I'm thinking about it right now. I, don't I can't have, have this. I don't have the time, money, this or inclination to, re to reclaim my lost Any hair. viewers from four or five years ago that remember? That remember your hairline? Yeah. Like, have you been like, look at Steve. Going bald. I don't think Another year of more balding. You can't claim victory just because nobody remembers what it used to look like. I'm it's looking not... for somebody to give some sort of positive reinforcement that's like, no, you've always looked like this. Oh, I see. Stop searching your computer, Tyler. I see you move and stop. We don't need to search anything right now. It's, it's playoff weekend. we got 1,100 people well, in maybe... here watching. We're trying to get out of here. Stop zooming in on me now. If like, you're looking for this? a positive, you can have like the Greg Olson. Like Greg Olson's hairline went wonky when he was like 25, but then it just stayed there. It never went any further. But you're telling me this thing's creeping. Well, yours is, yeah. So I'm, I'm not, I don't think Creeping doesn't is, just stop. No, I don't think yours is a Greg Olson. Actually, this particular side, there's quite an undercut on this bit. I'm just saying I've been there. I feel your pain. I understand how it's going to, I understand where it's going to go eventually. What am I going to do when I lose my signature? Uh... I mean, you're going to have to, that's, yeah. You can't, you can't be one of those guys that keeps, like just keeps that in a ponytail, you know, and it's just getting thinner and thinner up there. Oh, no, that's a bad look. Really that's bad. bad especially the way I dress and everything. I just <laughs> wearing my, you know, high-end sweatpants with the ponytail. Like, it's just it's 
bad news over here. <laughs> like if I rock my Hall of Fame jacket everywhere, maybe you kind of pull that off. You know, distract him with the with the bling. with the blue yeah. blue blazer Hall of Fame jacket. Uh-huh. I'll have to talk to uh, Liz. I'll talk to Liz, my stylist. See if she's got any. Do, do they like because she wants she doesn't want me to lose my hair she'll lose business right but therefore are they going to give you an unvarnished opinion like if you say hey liz it's be, more like i want to know the, line the proper products i don't want i'm not looking for positive reinforcement from liz i'm looking for a you know game plan but i don't know if she's going to give you fair and partial advice like if you say hey liz let, be honest with me now is my hairline receding? She's going to go, no, this is exactly where it's always been. It looks great. Let me just tidy this up. You know, I'll give you some color, like darken it down a bit. That'll make it look yeah. thicker. Like I do a couple, you know, and it'll be perfect. She's not going to go, look, this is at least two inches further back than when I started working on it a couple of years ago. I don't know what to tell you. I'm okay with some honesty from Liz. If we can, <laughs> if we can get this thing back on track here. So... Show's going off the rails here, but it's okay because the last game, you know, was thirty-eight to seven. Eagles. Yeah. Uh, from an, anything from an Eagles perspective here, I'm I'm loving the matchup against the Niners. Uh, Niners have an excellent run defense. I mean, dude, these are now two pretty special-looking championship games. They really are. Um, whether the Bills or Bengals had won this game, I think we were. Yeah, we were in I mean, the right spot there. Obviously, Dal- Dallas was a team that like in the right week could yes. look good, but they were far less consistent than the rest of them. Yeah, you can make an argument that Buffalo and Dallas both deserve to be in that conversation, but I think we have what look like the four best teams in the NFL at this point in the season. Like I, I think Buffalo were for a large part of the year, and then they fell off a little bit. They started playing a little bit stranger. They Their injuries started to catch up. Dallas blew hot and cold a little bit when they were at their best, absolutely but I think these are the three most consistent teams in the league, and then Cincinnati, who through the second half of the year have been as good as anybody. So that, I mean, that looks pretty hot. And a, you know, look, three out of four years, the Niners have been in the NFC Championship. You know, Kyle Shanahan's run as the head coach with the Niners, when he's, I, I used to say, when he's had his hand-picked starting quarterback, which was Jimmy Garoppolo for a while, they keep making the NFC Championship. Now he's doing it with seventh-round rookie Brock Purdy, who still doesn't doesn't look like the moment's too big for Purdy ever, right? He's still yeah. very much in it. And now going up against an Eagles defense, which is, which is strong, right? They've been picked apart a couple times this year, but they've – They've got answers that maybe some other deal. They know how to adjust, and they've got some great coverage players on the outside. That cat and mouse game is going to be awesome. And, right, and the Niners run defense against the Eagles rushing offense. Like, let's go, not go crazy out of this week. They scored 19 points. Like, they, True. the Eagles have the kind of defense True. that can do what Dallas did, which is bring pressure, which is stuff them up front, which is force some mistakes. Like, they, they can cause those kinds of problems. So, you know, that I think will be fascinating. Am I too biased in favor of Kyle Shanahan? There are many games, and this happened earlier in the year, like – I was like, look at this offense. It's cooking. And then they scored like 17. And yeah. um, I did that with the Dolphins earlier this year at times. I'm like, the Dolphins look great. They scored 16. And then the Chiefs are legitimately doing with Mahomes what, you know, the, the comparisons after the first couple of years was, is this the new Tom Brady, New England Patriots dynasty? And they've been to five straight AFC championship games. Now, they haven't got the Super Bowls necessarily that the Patriots do in terms of uh, on pace for. But they're doing that thing of they're in the championship game every year. Like, that's the, that's the standard for this team at this point. Yeah. Pretty good. It's impressive. Um, so we're seeing uh, 
that the you know we're seeing the franchise quarterbacks in the AFC completely turn the fortunes of their respective franchises. Mahomes did it years ago, but the Chiefs were the team that could never get over the top. Now they're in the AFC Championship for the fifth straight year, hosting it for the fifth straight year. And the Bengals, who kind of like, you know, people made fun of them for not spending enough and not having a big enough coaching staff, uh, scouting staff, and they're never going to win because they're, they're happy just making it to the playoffs with, under Marvin Lewis. And here they are with Joe Burrow, back-to-back AFC championships and perennial contenders. And the other side's different, right? It's not QB-driven as much. It's, it's two rookie contract quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy now. Um, going at it in just some very well-built teams. So I, I love, I'm loving these matchups, and of course, we'll go through them all on Thursday, our preview show. Mm-hmm. We've had enough of my hair talk. We've had enough football talk. Nah. Don't have to get up at 5.30 tomorrow. It's great. Stop asking for solo shots in the chat. Come on, get out of here. <laughs> I'm not going to shave my head either if we get to 500 We well, might have to if we get too far into the hairline retreat. I hate, why do we have extra producers and all this stuff if we're just going to zoom in on me the whole time? It's, it's precisely for things like this. Logo. Look, now I'm out of the shot. Well, no, ah, get me out of there. Actually, your hair was out of shot, but the rest of you is still in it. Huh. It's like Peyton Manning's head. You know, where you just see all the forehead. Man, 40s are tough. <laughs> 40s, no one. You got anything else on this show? No, I don't it's think so. fun show. Should we do this next week after the championship games? They're, what time are they on? Same. Yeah, yeah. 3 and 6.40. Let's do it. So let's do it. Next week we'll be uh, live on uh, Sunday night after the championship games. This week we've added more PFF NFL podcasts. We get the extra Tuesday show again this week, potentially. Yeah, <laughs> potentially. As of now. unless There's a lot of potential. Unless people show. are randomly on vacation. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you and I will at least be here on Wednesday because, you know, we show up to work. Right. So we'll be here on Wednesday and we'll be here on Thursday previewing conference championship weekend. But as we get closer, it's, you know, only four teams left. 28 fan bases are into the offseason here. Yes. So we're going to have far more free agent and draft talk. And everybody knows it's our favorite time of the year, at least my favorite time of the year, because it's team building season. Team building season season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Hit the like button on your way out. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again on Tuesday and Wednesday. And Thursday and Friday. And Thursday and Friday.